Welcome aboard, Captain. Welcome back to the Star Trek Minute, the semi-daily podcast where we talk about and celebrate Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, one minute at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, David Stoker. That makes me your other co-host, Chris LaSalle. Hey, Chris. David. Happy Monday. Yeah, man, you too. Or it would be if we weren't uh, still talking to McCoy, talking to Spock. <laughs> so, so it's not a happy Monday? <laughs> I think the first half of this minute is pretty much... Uh, it's a continuation of what I consider one of the best scenes that DeForest, you know, DeForest Kelly's ever done. And, um, you know, between 87, the end of 87 and 88, mm-hmm. yep. um, I think, I think there's some good, some good minutes for him. Yeah. I, I don't think I disagree with you. So, yeah. All right. So we're, uh, we're on a minute 88, 88 miles per hour. <laughs> Shout out to our back to the future boys. Um, this minute starts with uh, McCoy confessing something to Spock, and this ends with the bird of prey cruising over Vulcan. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. So, oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just gonna say, let's get just get right into it. And sure. So McCoy finishes, you know, his thought. You know, last week uh, we were talking about, uh, you know, help me to help you kind of thing, and. Now he's getting into something a little more personal, and he says, "You know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something that I never thought I'd hear myself say." And he says, "But it seems that I've missed you." And he says that almost with a little bit of a smile. But then he says, "He says I don't think I could stand to lose you again." And I'm like, "I think I might have just, I think I might just lose it because that's just, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing." Yeah, it is. It's. Uh, I was trying to think about it because. <clears throat> um, you know, we have the power of hindsight and we've seen the movie mm. many, many times. And what I don't remember and probably you probably didn't appreciate anyway, you know, 13 or something when I saw this yeah. originally in the theaters, you know, <clears throat> was this a was this like a big reveal in a way for McCoy's character? Um, yeah, I think we've gone on record saying that, you know, while they were they were friends, you know, it's the three of them. It's always been sort of Kirk and Spock have always been the buddies. You know, they're the best friends, the lifelong hetero mates, you know, they're and, you know, McCoy has always been in that sort of triangle circle, whatever you want to call it. And he's always been friends with both of them. You know, even in Wrath of Khan, you know, McCoy says to Kirk, he says, you know, I'm, I'm your doctor and I'm your friend. But I don't think we've ever gotten the warm and fuzzies from McCoy for either of them, really. Um, and I think this is the first time he lets his guard down and is vulnerable and uh, specifically with Spock. I mean, he's always been antagonistic with Spock. Right. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I guess I've always – and again, this is kind of the, the, the tangle of memory. Like I, right. I, I've always, I guess, assumed this – feeling that we're seeing here the feeling that he's expressing i guess i've always assumed that it was there and and so what i'm that's what i'm trying to you know kind of untangle is um is it just because now i have the original series and all the films in my my memory banks and and i'm just like well yeah of course or was 
I just wish it was more, I, I wish I could go back to like, oh, if I watched, you know, the original series and man, McCoy really hated Spock, don't you think? You know, they, just, they, they, always, they were always arguing and, you know, they never got along and there was maybe some respect there. Mm. But I never got, I never got a, you know, a feeling that they, he liked him. And then, I went, then when I saw Search for Spock, oh my God, he totally confessed that he, that he does. He missed him, you know? Yeah. You know what I mean? I wish I had, I just, I wish I had that. Uh, that that feeling that or that because then it would have made this more of a like a oh you know a, a big reveal moment and and not that I want it to be that I I, I don't need that but I think it'd be right it would have been cool and, and maybe it was like I said I, I just I just don't remember um, <clears throat> yeah nor do I I mean I yeah I think it's always been you know McCoy yelling at Spock you green blooded inhuman you know that's always Bastard, been the right. that's always been the relationship and you know Sock Spock says something uh, Sock uh, <laughs> Spock says something you know logical and you know McCoy comes in with his human emotions and. Right. Uh, you know, ah, you kids, stop playing on my lawn, you know? And, um, yeah, I, I, like I said, I think this is McCoy letting his guard down. And, um, I think this is the first, one of the first times I think we probably have ever seen him do this. Hmm. But I can't, it... I can't confess, I confess that I don't know. He may have said some things in the original series, but I don't think he's ever said anything in the movies no. up until this point. Not to this point. No. Um, but it isn't, but here's another, you know, just another observation, just based on what you said, you know, uh, you know, uh, McCoy's always been the, the, the passionate one, the, mm. uh, the, the, uh, the emotional one. And I think I always get, I always have a hard time trying to, uh, but distinguish between uh, McCoy and Kirk. I think Kirk's more of an instinctual and just, you know, doesn't think just does right action. But McCoy's always got this, this passion and this emotion around it. So in, in some ways, it makes sense for him to be confessing this, right? Because he, because mm, right. he is, he is emotional. It's just, but I, but I think what you just said, him, him being vulnerable is not something we normally see. Yeah, no, I, yeah. I agree. Wow, man. So, uh, so on this, on his, on his last words there, where he says, "I don't think I could stand to lose you again," mm -hmm. I, I want to delve maybe a little bit deeper. Maybe I just want to understand this more. Okay. Um, they're going back to Vulcan, and my again, and I think we've discussed this before recently. Is what is their intention? Is their intention to have Spock 5.0 just live out as you know become Spock again? Are they making taking the? They're obviously going to take the Katra out of McCoy, and I think we're assuming that he's supposed to go to the hall of heads and I don't know what they're going to do with Spock 5.0. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's what I'm, I know it's, we're not at a complete movie. So, and we obviously in the hindsight, we know what happens and all that kind of stuff. But at this point we don't know what's going to happen. Are we supposed to assume that McCoy and, and the gang are going to do something because that line, as great as it is, I don't think I could stand to lose you again. I don't, I don't fully understand. I'm, I'm not comprehending what they're right. what they're what's, doing. What's what's at risk, right? Yeah. What, what is it that's at risk? Uh, I think if you there's a couple things. Uh, I think at face value, I think he's just worried that all the trauma that Spock has gone through on Genesis, mm. you know, getting him on on the ship and now hitting the Vulcan. I think maybe just at face value, McCoy is worried Spock's just going to die. You know, right right there before they can 
either get him more medical attention or maybe 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 there's something maybe he thinks there's something uh he can get better medical attention on vulcan you know from people who understand vulcan physiology you know it could be just as simple as that um but i also uh, my memory too just you know th just looking at how search for spot came came about and how, how it got all put together harv bennett mm. um, when he was writing the screenplay a couple of places I, I i saw was he really started from the ending of the movie like you know let, let's get spock back you know bring him right. get him back to where he was um he kind of started from there and worked his way backwards was the i've seen that comment more than once and so he kind of just you know put together the story <clears throat> almost in reverse and so this could be just one of those examples of a of an oops um right right because it, it definitely because you can you can look at it you can look at it at the face value that i just said or you can just look at it yeah like mccoy knows what they're about to go do yeah or what ultimately ends up happening um even though well, i think we that... haven't been privy to that at all the whole film <clears throat> right I, I, that's why I stand conflicted. Like here, I haven't seen the movie in its entirety in quite some time, so I'm going based on my memory and watching it obviously a minute at a time. So when we go by, way back to the beginning of the movie when Sarek visits Kirk and he's like, you know, why did you leave him? And you know, his body was dead, but his mind was not. And then you sort of find out that they needed, they wanted his Katra, not necessarily his body, but or at least that's the way I interpret it. And here we are. You know, McCoy saying, hey, I don't think I could stand to lose you again. And I feel like you said, I feel like there's information we as the audience might be missing as to what their intentions are. Right. I think you look at it, maybe, maybe you look at it yet another way. It's just, you know, Kirk and McCoy, they lost Spock, mm. you know, just, again, timeline weeks ago. Let's just say weeks ago, he, he, he died. They buried him. Um, and now here he is again in front of right. them alive, you know, unconscious yep. alive. They don't know what, you know, what his mental state is, but obviously they're the man they knew is back. Right. Right. So I, it could be something as simple as that too. Just like, well, yep. you're, you're back again and I don't want to have to see you die again. Right. Um, even if, it, even if you're not the same, you know, even you if you're not up, the same man, right. Even if you're yeah. not the same man, you're still, you're still Spock to us. Right. Uh, so I think it could be some of that too. Okay, I think um, I think I, put the, I feel I think I feel a little bit better now. Yeah, I just was um, I want to take it for the face value it is, but I but I know things, but I also know that from the beginning of the movie we're not really left with much of what their mission was. So basically, you know, like I said, Sarek and Kirk have their little their thing. Kirk is basically we got to go back to Genesis just to get Spock's body. Like yeah. that sort of. So, again, my assumption was is they didn't know he was alive. They were going back to get his dead body. And then, but now, you know, obviously he is alive. And I, that changes you know, everything, right? Changes everything. So, they're all, they're all going into the <clears throat> unknown. Right. Undiscovered country. Uh, wrong movie. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so I guess from there, then we cut to the, the approach to Vulcan. Mm hmm. Uh, so we get this uh, pretty cool shot of the bird of prey, you know, starting to head into the planet Vulcan. And I don't remember how many times we've seen Vulcan from afar. You know, at this point, you know, they definitely they visited at least once in the original series. They were yep. we were on it in the motion picture. 
Um, and so now we're back. Um, Very mountainous. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're talking about this that first like exterior shot or the yeah first the first on, shot on planet shot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, and vol- it's always got that uh, volcano e vibe. Although not you know what we just saw at Genesis, right? With the Mustafar vibe, right? But it always looks very doesn't look very hospitable. It makes me think of uh, Mars. Mm, yeah, yeah. Almost like Total Recall Mars esque. <laughs> It's interesting that everything's like tinged in red, and that's, mm. um, you know, is that because the is the Vulcan star red? I don't think. Mm. I mean, the planet obviously is from 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 as they're approaching it. It's it's very red. Uh, I don't know. So before we before we go uh, any further, mm. um, there was an interesting moment in the in the novelization uh, as they're approaching Vulcan. Okay. Um, uh, Kirk and and Sarek, uh, Sarek, uh, Kirk and Savick are talking, um, and he says, uh, Kirk says, "Oh, you know, it's home, a, uh, a lieutenant," and she says, "I beg your pardon," and he's he's like Vulcan, and she's like, "Vulcan's not my home, sir. I have never been there before." And Kirk said, "Oh, I would have thought you would have at least visited it, visited it," and she said, "I've never been invited to Vulcan, sir." Um, what? Yeah. So it's it it, it um. You know, I think we know her backstory, mm. at least outside the film. Sorry, her backstory. She's half Vulcan, half Romulan. Right. Uh, so a little bit of a, I guess, an outcast um, from the Vulcan perspective because she's, yeah. you know, she's not 100% Vulcan. Right. Um, and so, yeah, she's never, she's, I don't know, I don't know if she grew up on Earth or some other kind of, you know, secondary planet. But obviously she, you know, when, when she came into the Federation, she was under Spock's wing. Uh, mm. But yeah, she's never been uh, to Vulcan uh, at, uh, up until this point, so it's a little, I don't know, a little bit of a bummer. You're like, oh god, she's, you know, this is more to a character that gets, you know, gets revealed, and a little more of her story that gets revealed. That, uh, and I, I call these things out that are in the novel that, I, because I would have liked to seen them play out on the screen. Um, so, poor Savick. Yeah, I have to. I, that makes me think that I want to know more about her backstory. Like, like even before you know she enters Starfleet. Like, where did she grow up? Did she grow up on Romulus? Did she grow up on Earth? Did she mm. was she an orphan? Like, oh no, you know, right, right. Because go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it. Just there's so many questions now. Like, were her parents exiled from Vulcan? Did they not live on Vulcan? Did they live on another planet? And because obviously, we're, again, we're privy to outside canonical knowledge that she's half Romulan, half uh, Vulcan. I, I have to. I just have so many questions about where she comes from. Yeah. Well, the the um, the, the Wrath of Khan novelization uh, talks about her being found. Um, I think she lived on a colony world that got it maybe attacked by Romulans or mm. uh, it, it basically got attacked. A lot of people died and she grew up like as a feral kid on the streets, like just like, you know, that kind of, uh, when she was finally, when they, you know, found and, and collected and brought to wherever she was brought to. I don't know from there. I don't know that her story. Right. But I know that, 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 uh, she was just this wild urchin on the streets for, for some years of her life when she was little. Right. Uh, which is, uh, which yeah, I, I I would like to see that too. I, you're right. There's, I, I'm sure there's, I'm sure there are some novels or uh, comics that kind of look at 
Savick in her early days. We should we should probably go looking for some of that as homework. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I definitely want to learn more about her. Uh, yeah, backstory. So. Okay, so we get this cool shot of um, presumably this is Mount Salea that we're looking at. Uh, yeah, that's what uh, Sarek was telling Kirk. You know, you must bring him to this to Mount Salea. Right. So I'm um, I'm assuming that's what we're looking at. You know, off the mountain on the left in the temple or building or structure that's that's up there. I'm assuming that's Mount Salea. I don't know. I I. Or is that I when they know. land? Is that when they I land? That's, that's why I thought they landed. Oh, okay. I thought I don't that know was what the it landing is. pad. Yeah, yep. I don't know what it is. Okay. Yeah, good point. Uh, so they cut to they cut to Sarek walking into some building. Uh, uh, I'm assuming then is he in that that building up at the top of the the mountain? No, I thought I thought they were in regular one. <laughs> the hallways. Okay. <laughs> I do. You know what? It's funny. I, I noted. I did notice that, and, and I forgot about. <laughs> Yeah, it's got those same carved walls. Yeah, we got walls. these sets yeah. from from the regular uh, cave scene. You think we should use them again? Sure, just it's Vulcan. Jeez, you know it, it, could, it could very well be like literally that set, and they just have it lit differently to make it look mm. brighter. Um, but yeah, you get Sarek approaching, and I I didn't I totally forgot the the two Vulcans that come in behind him. I didn't even mm. look to see who they were. I can't uh, even. You don't even really get a clear look of their face, yeah. so it's very hard to tell who they are. Um, interesting headwear, though. Yeah. Pointy hats, pointy ears. You know, is this just a, a I thing? Don't know if it's a thing, yeah. Pointy mountains. Pointy mountains. <laughs> <clears throat> so there's Uhura. Uhura's back. I know. Uh it just, it, yeah, I, I don't know where the heck they are. It's just an odd place for them to be having this conversation. <laughs> they're on approach and they're requesting permission to land. Uh, so are they in a communication center? She, did she just get that on her communicator? You know, what, you know, not quite sure what's happening here or where they're at. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> interesting conversation. And why would Uhura be um, giving him that information? Yeah, why not a Vulcan? Yeah, because obviously my guess is they enter the system. Vulcans are going to have them on sensors, so they're going to know they're coming. So wouldn't the Vulcan, whoever security forces, be like, hey, unregistered Klingon ship, what are you doing in our system? Yeah, right. You know? Blow like, up. I, I, I feel like that's weird. And now they're, they're already, you know, it, it, you know, when we see the next scene – they're already flying through like the the canyons of Vulcan, so they've already made it into the system, onto the planet, and yeah. I, I I find the whole thing a little weird. Now, wouldn't it be funny if now now that we're in the era of excuse me, hold on, <coughs> sorry, uh, wouldn't it be funny now that we're in the era of Star Trek Discovery, hmm. and we have that now under our belts, if um. The first response was to give them a Vulcan hello and start shooting at them, because <laughs> uh, we know that's how that's how Vulcans interact with Klingons. That's, yeah, no, that's how they, they shoot uh, first. Yes, they do. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, two questions. Yes. Uh, the scene here. So Uhura, we haven't seen her since the the 
the uh, it says they stole the Enterprise and she you know locked Mr. Venture in the closet. Right. Uh, so presumably that was her next step was to just hop a ship and go straight to Vulcan. Um, I still would have liked to have seen her tag along and be part of. Uh, yeah, I mean, adventure. It's, right. It's a little disappointing that she was not. Um, she was not part of the crew. I mean, she she was obviously integral in the whole, you know, stealing of the Enterprise and the escape. Um, she did play a part. Yeah. And I just have to wonder <clears throat> why they made the choice to have her so few minutes in this movie. Yeah, because, you know, thinking about it, well, I guess the other thing to think about is is that whole sequence of them stealing the Enterprise. Everybody had their moment, mm. right? Just these great, don't call me tiny, and yep. you know, breaking the Excelsior, and, you know, this is her scene, and they all, they all had a, you know, a part to play. But right. really, uh, once they got, once they got away, I mean, I know I complained how many times about all the interactions on the bridge and how boring they were uh, and then you know once they get down to the planet the bridge crew they do nothing right other than yeah. stand you know stand up and synchronize you know fashion and stuff they they didn't really have anything to do on the planet either other than get beamed back up onto the bird of prey so there wasn't a there wasn't really a ton of opportunity true um, to, which is too bad you know so she just would have been probably just oh, okay i'm beaming down with you guys and getting beamed yeah. up to the bird of prey. you know it, it would have been cool to have her you know pull a phaser on a Klingon or, you know, you know, she like, she could have been the one that blew that Klingon away that Kirk shot. Yeah. That would have been fun. Mm -hmm. Um, so, I mean, yeah, to that point, it would have been great to have her more in the movie. I think it's sort of a cool nod that she, she's here. I mean, back, uh, you know, in the forties, minute forties, uh, you know, her line is, you know, um, you know, her says, I'll meet you at the rendezvous. So there was, there was the potential that she was, we were going to meet her later. So this is the rendezvous. Yeah. This is the rendezvous. It's on right. Vulcan, where there's apparently no security. So, okay. Uh, <clears throat> and the other question I had, and this is this may be uh, a minor or nothing, but uh, Sarek's response was, you know, to, to, to her, uh, it's like, you know, permission granted for them to land. And he's like, right. tell them, tell Kirk we'll be ready. Right. And I, I wasn't quite... Am I am I reading into it too much? Like, why did he pause and say, "Tell Kirk" instead of "Tell them"? Or, or is no. it just nothing? No, I had the same question. I was like, why did he stop himself and then say, "Tell Kirk"? Is it because he had the interaction with Kirk? He knows what Kirk's doing. You know his reputation. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. Are we supposed to read more into it? Are we supposed to be? Is it supposed to be more of a personal message to him? Like. Kind yeah maybe maybe that's what it is because now it makes me wonder when he said you know tell Kirk we'll be ready to me it makes me go oh well wait a minute does does Kirk actually know what Sarek has planned right and this, this goes point? yeah yeah this goes back to my whole thing about like we the audience are not necessarily privy to what they may or may not be doing yeah so and obviously that leads up to the big you know the reveal i mean but um yeah i just at this point in the movie i i, I still feel a little left out <laughs> left out i want to know what's going on okay 
Well, all, all should be answered for us, I guess, in the next couple of minutes, a few minutes. Maybe. What do you think of the, uh, you mentioned it already, the bird of prey swinging through the canyon? I want to like it. <laughs> I know, and that's a bad, obviously, again, we, if I watch it and I don't think about it, I'm like, wow, it's a kind of a cool shot. You know, the sun and the, the lighting, I said, it's really cool. But when I watch it like 20 times, I realize like how fake it looks. <laughs> and I don't just mean like the bird of prey fake. I'm talking about like that first mountain range that's like right in front of the camera Yeah, is fake. Like right. you can see where they had to digitally edit the the outline of them. And it just, you know, the matting just looks bad. Yeah, I will say, you know, for all our... <laughs> For all our love of, of the practical, yes, uh, this is the downside of the practical, right? Is when you get these composited shots of they stack all this stuff together, and it's like, oh yeah, that looks that looks like they cut it out with some scissors. <laughs> that mountain top in the front. Yeah, and I just <clears throat> it may, so this scene makes me think of the uh, re-released versions of um, Star Wars. You know, like where George Lucas was tinkering and he would add things, put things in front. Like there's that one scene where um, Obi-Wan saves Luke from the sand people. Yeah. And then they de- they decided to put like R2 behind like some rock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For what? For and some it was weird like, reason. Yeah, for some weird reason. It was so dumb. And <laughs> it just makes me think of that. Like it just looks – I would have I would have been – it would have been a better shot overall if they just did not put that foreground mountain range in the shot, I'd be like, just have the bird of prey fry in front of the, you know, the Valley. We don't need that foreground shot to show us depth or distance. Mm -hmm. I mean, we already get it. Yeah. I agree. So I agree with you. Uh, they, they did it. They didn't need it. Um, I wonder if it was something like, you know, it got, it got, they put it together you know, mm. without the, the rocks in the foreground and somebody's like, eh, it looks a little too fake. Can we, can we, you know, put something in the foreground to just make it look a little more, like you said, 3D, give it some depth. Right. And it just, unfortunately, it, it just doesn't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so funny because I go back and forth between, you know, I, you know, I love this stuff and I'm just kind of, sometimes you're like, ugh. Like, I don't mind in a, in a movie. I, I still don't have a problem with, you know, when you've got, you know, ships flying through space. And you can see the matte outlines around the ship as they kind of, you know, you kind of see that square follow the ship around, you know, that, that, that matte, that, that, that never bothers me for some reason. It's, it's this stuff that, which I think is the same, I think it's the same technology matting, uh, that just kind of like, you're like, Oh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's too obvious or it's, it's, it doesn't work. takes me out of it a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. Well, that takes us out of the minute. <laughs> do you, uh, did, yeah, literally. Do you, uh, do you have anything else you want to, want to chat? I about? don't. Nope. I'm good. All right. So started out with a great beginning was great. McCoy's moment to Forrest Kelly's moment mm. ends with a little bit of a, uh, black eye for ILM. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Little bit. I would say, yeah, a little bit. Right. Sorry. ILM guys. Mm. All right. Well, let's wrap it up. Um, uh, we'll, uh, uh, we'll be back again on Wednesday, and uh, 
Uh, guys, while you're waiting, uh, I was going to ask if everyone, if you haven't already, uh, head on out to Apple Podcasts slash iTunes slash whatever Apple's calling themselves these days uh, and leave a rating and a review. Uh, we'd love to love to get your feedback on, on the show. Um, so please and thank you. And um, we're going to be back again on Wednesday talking about Minute 89 of The Search for Spock here at the Star Trek Minute. Bye now. Bye.